Good evening, everybody. I hope everybody can hear me. I don't know if I can't tell if you can't. Hi. Hi. Um, I wanted to um, look at a column this evening, but in a slightly different context. Um, the column is, I can't remember the case number, but a monk asked uh, Dairu, he said, the physical body is disintegrating but what about the immutable spiritual body? Dairu said, the autumn foliage of the mountains spreads like brocade. The water in the valley remains blue as indigo. This all sounds a bit confusing. I'll just read it again. A monk asked the Dairu, the physical body is disintegrating. What about the immutable spiritual body? Dairu said, the autumn foliage of the mountains spreads like brocade. The water in the valley remains blue as indigo. So I don't know if anybody's got a take on this, but the monk is basically saying, when, when I die, or when this body fades away, is there anything that's immutably left? Is there a God? Is there a deity? Is there a ground of being? Is there some universal consciousness that's aware I've died? Basically, he's asking very rude questions. Um, is there any meaning in life? Is there any meaning if there isn't any immutable spiritual body? And Dairu replies in a way that just describes the situation that he finds himself in. I guess he's in the mountains in a monastery somewhere and he says the autumn foliage spreads like brocade and the water in the valley remains as blue as indigo. That would be nice, wouldn't it, to be in a valley with water as blue as indigo. Anyway, so that's, that's the basic column. And um, hmm. I'll just read you a commentary by... Um, uh, Barry Majid, a slight extract of a commentary, and he says, There is no essential bedrock to be found, whether we look deep inside or behind the curtain. There is no essential bedrock to be found, whether we look deep inside or behind the curtain. Does that mean... If there's no essential bedrock that our lives don't have meaning, I think that's what the monk wants to know. What happens when he dies? Does it have any significance? Did his life have any significance? If there isn't a bedrock of reality that lies beneath all our existences? Well, one perspective is that we've just been, all of us have been caught up in our search looking for this and we've been relentlessly overlooking what has been in plain sight all along which is the fact that the appearance of things are concealing nothing they are that in zen we call it the dustness of things they don't conceal anything they are of their own right perfect and exist they don't conceal any other meaning behind them other than their plain existence and stephen bachelor it talks about this in terms of the Buddha's awakening 
and he says, the Buddha's awakening is a radical shift in perspective rather than the gaining of a privileged knowledge of some higher truth. It is not as if he saw something new so much as he saw what we all see, the ever-changing world, but he saw it in a new light. And when Dairu answers the monk with images of this ever-changing world, the world of appearances and the beauty of the autumn foliage, he's answer, answer, answering the monk's question, which is grounded in a basic dualistic assumption, which I think we all have or have had, um, or perhaps even a basic human longing, that the world of impermanence, of change, should not be the only world that there is. That there should be another world other than this one that fulfills us more, that gives us more sense of security. And yet, Dairu's answer implies that there is only one world, one life. And to go back to Stephen Batchelor's perspective or view, it's not that we're mistaken in our view, it's just a different perspective than the one that the Buddha experienced. So our life can take on different guises and, and we can respond to it in different ways. It's our perspective that counts. And if it's our perspective that counts and we can give different names to our own reality, then, then we, 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 we are the ones that are respons responsible for giving life meaning. And in, in, that, that would be my reading of this poem. And in that context, I wanted to, to, to move on to something in a way radically different, of a different time, but which exemplifies the same point as Dairu's making, that we are responsible for meaning. Uh, and so uh, it coincided with me reading um, excerpts from a book by Viktor Frankl, and I don't know if you're familiar with Viktor Frankl, but he, he wrote um, many essays on the meaning of life, and particularly one that he titled Yes to Life. The important thing about Viktor Frankl is he spent, I think, five to six years uh, in a concentration camp, uh, and he was lucky to survive. Um, and looking back on the brutality of the, of the life in the camp, he reflected that the only thing that remained was the individual person, the human being, and nothing else. Everything else had fallen away. Money, power, fame, health, happiness, even being viewed as a human being, vanity, ambition, relationships, everything was reduced to a very bare essence. He was simply a number. How did he find meaning in that? And he did. And again, he echoes the points of the column when he's, his view was that everything depends on the individual human being and everything depends on each person through action and not mere words, creatively making the meaning of life a reality in his her, or her own being. Everything depends on the individual human being and everything depends on each person through action and not mere words, creatively making the meaning of life a reality in his or her own being. And surprisingly, as these things happen, you know, kind of synchronicity, 
And I was just looking at a commentary by Joseph Goldstein, and he says, so it is as though we are all artists, but instead of canvas and paint or marble or music as our medium, our very bodies, our minds and our life experiences are the materials of our creative expression. And a great sense of fulfillment in Dharma practice comes from knowing this and from actively creating it, creating and fashioning our own lives. There's, there's three people from different backgrounds, different ages, all arriving at the same conclusion that we're responsible for creating and fashioning our own lives and thus finding meaning. And I wanted to just read a, 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 an imaginary story that Frankl um, created to demonstrate the different perspectives we can have on meaning, how we can either be nihilistic or we can find meaning. And he, he says, <clears throat> and imagine yourself in this position. Let us imagine a man who has been sentenced to death and a few hours before his execution, he has been told he is free to decide on the menu of his last meal. He can have anything he wants and the God offers him all kinds of delicacies. But in fact, the man rejects them all. He thinks to himself, why would I bother? I'm going to be dead in a couple of hours. I don't care. But in taking that stance, and if he'd been right, then his whole life would have been meaningless in a way. He needed to affirm life at that moment. He needed to have his dinner and really, really enjoy it. I don't know, maybe, I don't know how I'd be, or how any of us would feel, but certainly from Frankl's perspective, to not accept this offer of a meal before he died, in fact, made his life meaningless. It's a, it's a powerful point. So I'm just gonna flip it, carry on with some of Frankl's observations. Frankl said as an antidote, to despair and nihilism. He asks, he asks, he, Frankl asks us to reframe the question of what is the meaning of life. He wants us to change perspective, just as Bachelors said that he, he, the Buddha changed perspective. And just as Dairu changed the perspective of the monk, he asks us to change perspective. And he says, at this point, it would be helpful to make a conceptual turn of 180 degrees, after which the question can no longer be, what can I expect from life? But now the question is, what does life expect from me? What task in life is waiting for me? Now we also understand that in the final analysis, the question of the meaning of life is not asked in the right way. If asked in the way of, what is the meaning of life for me? It is life that asks the questions, directs questions at us. We are the ones who must answer, must give answers to the constant hourly question of life, to the essential life questions. Living itself means nothing other than being questioned. Our whole act of being is nothing other than responding to or being responsible toward life. From this perspective, nothing can scare us anymore. No future, no apparent lack of future, because now, the present is everything, and it holds the eternally new question of what is life for us. And I'll just conclude with uh, Frankl's conclusion. 
One way or another, there can only be one alternative at a time to giving life meaning, meaning to the moment. So that any time we only need to make one decision about how we must answer. But each time a very specific question is being asked of us by life. From all this follows that life always offers us a possibility for the fulfillment of meaning. Therefore, there is always the option that it has meaning. One could also say that our human existence can be made meaningful to the very last breath. As long as we have breath, as long as we are conscious, we are each responsible for answering life's questions. Powerful stuff, eh? <laughs> so for each of us, we're fully and completely responsible for answering life's questions. I don't know what you think of that, whether it feels like a heavy responsibility. It would be much nicer to know that there was somebody else out there checking out on us, knowing every hair on our heads. <laughs> so. I'm sorry it was a bit quick reading it, but uh, it's hard to get the pace when I can't see you, be with you. So I'm very happy for anybody who's got a view or whether they disagree or what they think about the whole thing, or whether you're nonplussed. Rashid. Keith, yeah. That's Andy. Um, oh, Andy, sorry. I, I think. It, that's a really powerful um, idea and it kind of flips the verse of atonement on its head really almost yeah yeah um, because it makes it makes me responsible for the meaning of my life yeah which which is not it's not what what meaning does my life have it's what meaning can I create yeah. um, which is scary but it's I think also quite empowering in a way. Yeah. If if I if I can grasp that nettle, as it were, and the opportunity, it's it feels less passive. It feels more active. It feels like <laughs> I have more power in a situation potentially. Thank you, Andy. But, That's great. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. Sorry. No, it's just it's exciting and scary at the same time. Same time, I agree. Yeah. Josie? Hello. Hi, um, Josie. Yeah, that was it it feels like a lot a, a lot to take in, but um it felt very nourishing to hear that mm -hmm. stuff. But I do have a question about um uh oh god, about so you're giving meaning to your own life. Could that be like delusionary? As in, you could get caught up in reading into things and find trying to find meaning in stuff which isn't there. I think I think you're right. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, but the emphasis is. <laughs> is on being present at a moment and how you respond each time to each moment. It's not really about thinking, you know, who can I read? What can I find? Where can I go? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, for me anyway, I, I, I think for, for most of us in the practice, one of the 
aspirations that we have is to be authentic. And, and I think all of us really know in our middle when we are. So I think, you know, we're our own best bullshit testers. You know, we, we really know in our innards when we're bullshitting. So you might get away with it on the top, but I think you would know if it wasn't about your, really about your life. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, though. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Keith? Hi, Rosie. Thanks for that. Um, I really like Viktor Frankl, and I read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, which was uh, is really inspiring. But I've been catching up on a bit of Shakespeare um, and re really getting into that, and there's quite a bit on... Uh, YouTube that's coming up in the theatres and that all for free, it's great. And one thing, I, uh, I was listening to a lecture by somebody and um, we were talking about Hamlet and uh, they pointed out that the first word in Hamlet is, who's there? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's given us a kind of, you know, these challenges, who's there, you know, who is within? You know, who is this person? And Hamlet goes on to continuously ask that question. And the second uh, almost challenge there it says um unfold thyself mm. reveal yourself and it's 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 it richard man will give me a new way of looking at it you know that it's, it's our responsibility to actually ask that question who's there what mm. is this and to continuously unfold ourselves in our lives whatever that means mm. and it seems to me that the monk in the koan is, is refusing to do that he wants yeah. to give him the answers and, and life doesn't give us a real book it doesn't give us you know we've got to find it out for ourselves and you know and that's why we're here i suppose yeah. yeah thank you keith yeah isn't it great that it asks us questions rather than giving us answers It'd be pretty boring wouldn't it <laughs> thank you tony shimro yeah yeah thank you for for that talk roshi uh, the, the juxtaposition of the question, you know, what, what, is, uh, what is the meaning of my life and then life looking for something to make of us reminds me of um, the Genjo Khan, mm. uh, where Dogen says that when the self goes out and confirms the world around it, that's delusion. When the world around comes forth and confirms the self, that's realization. Yeah. It seems to me that that's actually going in the same direction as, as Frankl is in, with, with that yeah. switch in the, in the <laughs> question. Yeah, well spotted, Tony. I, I did think of that this afternoon and I've got to mention it today. So thank you. <laughs> I mean, so that, 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 those lines are so relevant all the time, aren't they? they keep, thank you. Thanks. Sarah? Yeah, I haven't got a lot to say about it other than thank you, because I think those were exactly what the words I needed to hear today. I'm having a particularly difficult week and somehow they felt kind of just right and very powerful. So thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Hello. Oh, Giles. Hi, Giles. Hi. Um, thank you for that, Roshi. Um, yeah, I really love that um, in lots of ways. Um, one thing that sort of really jumps jumps out is is how how it, it, there's, there's a kind of when I'm when I'm when I'm personally stuck in depression or despair 
there is a real antidote there mm. if I can realize that I am I am I am stuck I am in some way the one taking that perspective um, and if I can shift the perspective and see that I can actually use what I've got I can respond in a different way to my life um, I can open up meaning and service and um, um, yeah and just tur turn turn my life around and I mean it, it's obviously very difficult and we get stuck all the time but <laughs> there is there is there is an antidote to despair which which can at the time obviously seem so so desperate um but yeah it, it really it really rings true for me so thank you thanks Charles. thank you yeah that's what i like the antidote to despair and nihilism <laughs> Roshi, can I just um, can I just ask where it's Colin? I've lo uh, Colin, I've lost you. Uh, hang on, you must be on the other page. Hang on. All right. I'm just waving my head around, see if it brings the video in. Uh, where are you? Um, where are you? Just a quick question, really. I can't see you at all. Are you? Oh, they, oh no. Colin, I have to go back to the other page. Just, I can't see you. Hang on. Oh, there you are. Apologies, got you. Right. That's okay. Um, I just wanted to ask. Uh, there's a couple of things. There's one. Um, first of all, which koan was it, and, and where is it? Uh, it's one. Uh, Tony, can you remember which one that is? Tony, I think Tony's gone to look. It's in. It's in. Uh, I think it's in the moon can or Luke Cliff. While he's looking, oh, while he's looking. The question was that my um, I just had a my, my first instinct on the symbolism involved in it in, in his answer mm. was was slightly different, and I was just interested in that word remains, and um, it was the bit where he says that I think it was the autumn leaves fall like a brocade, and the and the the water in the valley remains uh, as blue as indigo. Yeah. And it, I just, um, my first instinct was he's, he's describing um, some things in his surroundings passing away and, and moving on and others remaining. Um, and, and I was thinking it was, uh, he, he was talking about, you know, we, yeah, you know, we are going to die, but this world in which we, we live and, and the life that we've been part of, it does continue. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'd not, I'd not, yeah, I'd not thought the significance of, the valley remains, the water in the valley remains blue as indigo. Yeah, remains. Yeah, yeah. He didn't say is, he said remains. Yeah, yeah. So there's an implication there that, yeah, your passing doesn't. Yeah, got you. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I, no, I was just, it was, it was a, I was just wondering if you thought that was significant or if, if it was just no, a coincidence. I, I hadn't until you happened to see. That, so <laughs> yeah, thanks. Did you find it, Tony? Oh well, I'll dig around and see if I can find yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. If you Google it, 
if you if you Google spreads like brocade, I'm sure I you'll will. find it. I will. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank, thank you for the talk. Pleasure. Steve. Hi Roshi. Thank you for that. Um, do, you, do you think he's talking about resilience with regards to his life? It reminds me of that other um, Viktor Frankl quote, um, what is to give light must endure burning. Yeah, there is, there is, um, there is a backdrop to, 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 to Viktor Frankl of, of duty, of, of duty, of, of the, you know, the worries, but he, he uh, there's a um, mercy piece of paper, but this is what. The, but the, yeah, about resilience and duty. But he, he does go on to say he quotes a, a small poem on that business of resilience and duty, which sounds like a lot of hard work. But he goes on to say, this is a poem by uh, the, uh, the Indian poet Tagore. Is that how you say his name, Tagore or Tagore? I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was duty. I worked and behold, duty became joy. So the, the duty side of it, he sees finally as, as, as becoming joyful. But yeah, definitely, I guess you do, you, 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 you're gonna need resilience if you're gonna survive a concentration camp for six years. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Steve, thank you. Okay, I'm conscious that it's uh, it's getting on, and I'm, I I know pe people's attention span. I've got it. Okay, it's case eighty two in Bluecliff. Say again, Andy. Tony. To oh, Tony. Case eighty two in the Bluecliff record. Case eighty two in the Bluecliff record. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tony. Okay, so good night, everybody. We're going to have three, three, three.